Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome to Criminalia, where it's pirate season. We'll be exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious freebooters throughout history. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. And Rachel Wall, who we're talking about in this episode, was probably born as Rachel Schmidt to devoutedly Presbyterian parents sometime in 1716. She is unique because she is credited with being New England's only, quote, lady pirate, or, <laughs> as she's been mentioned in some of the research that came up, the dread pirate Rachel. Sort of marvelous. She was born in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and she may also have been the first American-born woman to become a pirate. But she most certainly was the last woman to be hanged in Boston, although the specific crime that landed her fate... Uh, was not actually piracy. And that becomes an interesting twist in her story. Yes, certainly. So we're a bit lucky when it comes to Rachel Wall's life history, or at least parts of her history. And that's because before the end of her life, she wrote a piece called Life, Last Words, and Dying Confession of Rachel Wall, 
Right here, we want to emphasize two things. First, half of that headline is in all caps. And second, keep in mind that this confession was penned shortly before her execution. We'll reference it throughout, but keep in mind, it's, it's not a journal. It's a document created at the end of her life when she knew her fate was sealed. Okay, before we get to the end of her life, though, let's talk about her younger years. Rachel was born into what she described in that document as a good family. She called her parents, quote, good and reputable. Her father was a farmer, but we do know that he was definitely a man, quote, of a very serious and devout turn of mind and always made it his constant practice to perform family prayers in his house every morning and evening and was very careful to call his children and family together every Sabbath day evening to hear the Holy Scriptures and other pious books read to them. And according to this written confession, which it's uh, laid out as though she actually verbally gave it as a confession and someone else took it down, just for clarity. But according to this confession, her parents gave her the moral foundation to lead a happy, crime-free life. She said, quote, they gave me a good education and instructed me in the fundamental principles of the Christian religion and taught me the fear of God. And if I had followed the good advice, I should never have come to this untimely fate. Rachel had three brothers and two sisters who were living at the time she left home at least, again, according to this document, they do not appear to have similarly been drawn into a life of crime, but we really don't hear about them after Rachel left Carlisle. Her family life wasn't enough to make Rachel happy. So she actually ended up leaving home at the age of 16 and made her way to where she always said she was most comfortable and felt most at home. And that was the waterfront. We looked at maps. Depending on the waterfront you're talking about around Carlisle, that could be quite a walking journey, you know, as many as days. Several sources say she went to the waterfront, whichever one that means, we know she went there. And that's where she met a man named George Wall, who made his living as a fisherman and who also would change the course of her life. The pair soon married, and they began traveling around the United States together, first to Philadelphia briefly, and then a few months in New York City, and eventually to Boston, where they settled. And in her confession, Rachel does make a point of clearing her parents' name of any blame by stating that she did all of this without their consent. So it was not long after the Walls moved to Boston, however, that George left Rachel for time at sea. When the newlywed Rachel was questioned about her husband's whereabouts, she admitted she had no idea where he was. She would say, quote, he went off again and left me, and then would continue, and where he is now, I know not. It is actually now thought by historians that George was probably a privateer during the American Revolution, and that's how and when he observed the life of a pirate and decided that that was the life for him. To support herself while he was away, Rachel turned to one of Two possible professions, depending which piece of her folklore you hear. So it's possible, yet unlikely, that she took a job as a barmaid. It is way more likely, especially because she's actually quoted talking about it in her confession, that she really took a job as domestic help in Boston's wealthy Beacon Hill neighborhood. And it was there that she was, she said, quote, very contented. George did eventually return to his wife. And when he did, he began a campaign to get her to join the business of piracy with him. During her final confession, Rachel was quoted about that, saying, As soon as he came back, he enticed me to leave my service and take to bad company, from which I might date my ruin. 
So at this point, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. And when we return, we'll talk about how Rachel and George began their life of piracy. So romantic. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage from full to cheeky to minimal. 
And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome back to Criminalia. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about everything from Blackbeard to Rachel's trial. As it turns out, some of the most notorious pirates, such as Blackbeard, Samuel Bellamy, and Captain Kidd, were all known to travel in the waters off of Boston's North Shore. So it's believed that they came north to New England to trade their goods with merchants in Connecticut, New York, and you guessed it, Boston, too. Not the only pirates in the area, obviously, and definitely not as famous, Rachel and George also sailed off the coast of New England. And legend says they stole a ship named the Essex to begin this journey. Together, it's said they robbed as many as 12 ships and plundered and killed 24 sailors. Their lore suggests they made as much as $6,000 doing this. Perhaps more, perhaps less. We haven't done this in a little bit, so hold on and remember, translating dollars to dollars over nearly 250 years is super sketchy. Don't quote these as real numbers, but here we go. The purchasing power of that $6,000 would be maybe about roughly equivalent to $130,000 in 2021. And the amount they took in may have actually been as high as $12,000, which, bear with us again, is somewhere possibly around the equivalent in purchasing power to more than $270,000 today. Although there isn't any proof beyond her pre-execution confession, according to the legend surrounding the walls, they attacked vessels around the Isles of the Shoals, just off the coast of New Hampshire. In her confession, Rachel went into pretty good detail about how she and George worked as a team. They primarily worked after storms had hit, and they made use of the unique situation of having a woman on board to lure in victims through deception. Rachel would stand on the deck or the mast of the ship and pretend to be the lady in distress. She would scream for help until nearby sailors came to her rescue. And that's when George and his crew would plunder their ships and murder their crew. In 1782, though, tragedy struck when George and most of his crew drowned at sea during a storm. Rachel, as well as a number of the crew, were rescued from the shipwreck. And it is at that point that she gave up piracy and returned to Boston. Back in Boston, Rachel turned her work from piracy back to domestic help. She did, though, keep her hand in the game a bit by committing petty crimes. It said she could never shake her love of the sea or her love of looting. In fact, she's known to have sneaked aboard ships docked in Boston Harbor. She described one of these outings on Long Wharf in Boston, saying, quote, Sometime in the spring of 1787, not being able to ascertain the exact time, I happened to go on board a ship lying at the Long Wharf in Boston. The captain's name I cannot recollect, but think he was a Frenchman. 
On my entering the cabin, the door of which not being fastened, and finding the captain and mate asleep in their beds, I hunted about for plunder and discovered under the captain's head a black silk handkerchief containing upwards of 30 pounds in gold, crowns, and small change, on which I immediately seized the booty and decamped therewith as quick as possible. (laughs) I like that she was stealthy enough to steal money from under a man's head. Under his head! So I actually found two versions of this little story. And they they had all the same basic information in them. And I think the last like maybe one or two sentences were even exactly the same. It was missing a few things like in the spring of 1787. um, It was missing uh, lying at the Long Wharf and it was missing that he was a Frenchman. So it was pretty much the same. But I thought that this one had some um, besides I liked that she said she seized the booty. (laughs) (laughs) This was not the truncated version of her quote, which I thought was pretty good. It was nice to be able to see two versions. Um, So moving on back to her confession. Rachel states in that confession, quote, in short, the many small crimes I have committed are too numerous to mention in this sheet. But in addition to the theft we just mentioned, she also recounts two other specific crimes, which she said she included, quote, as a solemn warning to the living of my sex, at least, especially to those whom they more immediately concern. Yeah, one of those is this account of stealing from yet another ship's captain, which goes, quote, At another time, I think it was about the year 1788, I broke into a sloop, on board of which I was acquainted, lying at Doan's Wharf in this town and finding the captain and every hand on board asleep in the cabin and steerage. I looked round to see what I could help myself to when I espied a silver watch hanging over the captain's head, which I pocketed. I also took a pair of silver buckles out of the captain's shoes. I likewise made free with a parcel of small change for pocket money to make myself merry among my evil companions and made my escape without being discovered. And here's why Rachel's confession should be taken with a grain of salt. So in it, she confessed she attempted to break her husband out of jail by using what is now pretty much one of the oldest tricks in the book. By this time, Rachel's confession seems to have been more a work of fiction or at least an exaggeration. But we're going to talk about it anyway, because it's really an interesting part of her legend. So here's the problem. Her husband, George, in this story was in jail in 1785, but we know he died in a shipwreck in 1782. So what's real? And what's not real is a little bit blended here. (laughs) Right. It's also possible just that she has a bad grasp of calendar dates. I was just going to say that she earlier mentioned in her confession, uh, she couldn't remember the year of something that happened. And, you know, maybe that's true. Right. So it may be true. It may not be true. We're going to tell it. It's part of legend. (laughs) It's a pretty good one. So this, this possibly fictional part of her confession states that Rachel had tools to escape baked into a loaf of bread and had that bread sent to George. She wrote, quote, sometime about the year 1785, my husband being confined in the jail in this place for these, I had a mind to try an expedient to extricate him from his imprisonment, which was to have a brick loaf baked in which I contrived to enclose a number of tools, such as a saw, file, etc., in order to assist him to make his escape which was handed to him by the jailer in person, who little suspected such a trick was playing with him. However, it liked to have had the desired effect the crafty contriver intended. 
For, by means of this stratagem, the poor culprit, Wall, had busily employed himself with the implements that his kind helpmate had in this curious manner conveyed to him, and had nearly effected his design before it was discovered. So before he could dig his way out, they were onto him. The part that I uh, really like about what she put in the brick loaf of baked bread was the saw. Like, <laughs> just, I, the saw that I imagine is very small because it goes in a loaf of bread. Um, and I just think to myself, wow, that'd take a long time. <laughs> Rachel's life changed again on the evening of March 18th, 1789. According to her confession, she was walking home from work and we quote, without design to injure any person. She was, she continued, quote, surprised when the crime was laid to her charge. And here's what happened. 17-year-old Margaret Bender, who had also been walking on that road, accused Rachel of stealing a bonnet, shoes, and buckles, and possibly a few shillings, too, violently off her body. There's also an odd and highly unlikely version of the story that suggests that she, and that she is Rachel, tried to rip out Margaret's tongue. That sounds a little like the exaggeration of gossip going around, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. The report of the crime that was published in the papers about two weeks later definitely leaned toward Margaret's version of the story. That was reported as follows. As a woman was walking alone, she was met by another woman who seized hold of her and stopped her mouth with her handkerchief and tore from her head her bonnet and cushion, after which she flung her down took her shoes and buckles, and then fled. She was soon after overtaken and committed to jail. Rachel did run from the police, but she was quickly arrested and jailed for highway robbery, which is robbery that's committed, you could guess, on or near a public road. It was during this time that Rachel came clean about her life of piracy and all it entailed, but the one thing she always maintained was her innocence in regard to that bonnet. Of all the acts of piracy Rachel had been involved with, uh, her arrest record was actually just for things like petty theft. This arrest was for highway robbery, which meant that she could be executed if found guilty. She pleaded innocent, and we quote, As to the crime of robbery, I am entirely innocent to the truth of this declaration. I appeal to that God before whom I must shortly appear. She was tried by a jury, and only men could serve on juries at this time, before the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts in August of 1789. And Rachel was found guilty. Not to take anything away from Rachel's life, we would be remiss if we didn't mention how famous those who participated in her trial would become. For example, Rachel's life was happening at exactly the same time that George Washington, a founding father of the United States, was leading troops to victory in the American Revolution. But his is not the only name that you will recognize from this time period, and specifically from Rachel's trial. Right, right. So the presiding judge was William Cushing, who went on to become one of the first U.S. Supreme Court justices. The prosecutor was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Her court-appointed lawyer, Christopher Gore, not only helped ratify the Constitution, he also became the first U.S. attorney for Massachusetts. During trial, he requested, and we quote, that sentence of death might be given against the said Rachel Wall, the prisoner at the bar. And her death warrant, and this one I thought was really kind of the most interesting, carried what may be considered the most famous signature in U.S. history, and that's John Hancock, who was the first governor of Massachusetts at the time. 
I wonder if it was massive and overtook the document. I wondered the same thing, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I need a page for my last name. (laughs) We are going to take a break here and have a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Rachel's conviction of highway robbery. Again, not piracy. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about how Rachel requested to be hanged like a pirate. So here's one thing about Rachel. She never denied that she was a criminal. She never denied that she had been arrested for petty theft, for larceny. She did, while technically no longer a pirate, loot a few important people. That included Perez Morton, who was a revolutionary patriot, a friend of John Adams, 
and a man who would become a powerful lawyer and future speaker of the Massachusetts House of Representatives. But this accusation of highway robbery stuck, and she pleaded not guilty. She always said she didn't do it. So if hanging would be her execution, which it was, she believed and requested that she be hanged as a pirate. She went on to argue that she shouldn't be executed or sentenced for this crime of highway robbery. She maintained her innocence, saying, quote, Witnesses who swore against me are certainly mistaken, she said. But she continued, As a dying person, I freely forgive them. She, quote, Hoped her awful and untimely fate will be a solemn warning and caution to everyone, but more particularly to the youth, especially those of my own sex. There were three hangings on the day that Rachel was executed, including William Smith and William Dunnigan. All three had been convicted and sentenced to death for highway robbery. Rachel was the final execution of the day and was hanged at the Great Elm in Boston Commons. It's reported that there were thousands of bystanders on hand for the event, and it was reported that, quote, everyone present was ready for the morning's gruesome excitement. When Rachel's time came, she jumped out off the edge to her death without help. You may be wondering, as Rachel did, was hanging really the punishment for allegedly stealing a bonnet? Yes, actually. Well, it could be. So we'll do a really quick overview of that. The Massachusetts Bay Colony Charter had previously been revoked by the King of England, and that meant that Massachusetts was totally free to establish its own laws based on court judgments and jury opinions. Additionally, by the end of the 18th century, the ruling class in Massachusetts believed there was a massive and unprecedented crime wave just occurring around them all the time, and their solution was to be swift and merciless. They may have actually been exaggerating that crime problem, but their solution, just the same, was capital punishment. And this law could mean hanging for the theft of a bonnet. It could also, unfortunately, permit the execution of any woman with a baby born outside of marriage to be hanged, while the man involved was almost always exempt from punishment. The time and place is interesting here. Okay, we don't intend to gloss over the importance of the American Revolution, of course, but for the context of what we're talking about today, that's the setting for Rachel's story in Boston. So we're going to talk just a little nip about the revolution. Battles were fought from Quebec all the way down to the Carolinas. Basically, everyone along the eastern seaboard was recovering from battle, either through participating or it just being part of their world. In Massachusetts, many residents had become stressed and distressed about any sort of lawlessness or crime. There was a lot going on in Massachusetts at the time, and in particular in Boston and the surrounding area. The Siege of Boston, which began the American Revolutionary War, the Battle of Bunker Hill, the Battles of Lexington and Concord, you know these battles. And all of these had just completely exhausted the population. To contextualize where Rachel's story and her execution fit into the larger area, by this time in Massachusetts, juries had hanged 127 women over 200 years, and that included, famously, women accused of being witches in the Salem Witch Trials, which happened between 1692 and 1693. Though not all of the more than 200 alleged witches were executed, that brief period marks a notable concentration of the total number of women who had been put to death for crimes in the colony and in the state. The number of women hanged in Massachusetts after the witch trials and before Rachel Wall came along 
dwindled for about a century. Rachel was not only the last woman hanged in Massachusetts, she also became a unique outlier in that she had not been accused of being a witch and was one of the last that could claim that to be hanged there. That is true. She died on Thursday, October 8th, 1789, when she was 29 years old. Word of her death was announced through various newspapers, and the plight of her life was memorialized as a woodcut illustration of her corpse dangling from the gallows. While she lost her life for theft, at least on paper, we wonder if it sort of seems like she was really being tried for her life of piracy. Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to determine the politics at hand in her trial. We do know that in her final hours, Rachel went to her death asking for mercy on her soul, completing her confession with, we quote, And now, into the hands of Almighty God, I commit my soul, relying on his mercy through the merits and mediation of my Redeemer, and die an unworthy member of the Presbyterian Church in the 29th year of my age. All right, so Holly, I'm going to come and meet you in the groggery, and I hope the groggery has a lot of nutmeg today. (laughs) The groggery is actually nutmeg-free. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Oh, you ran out. That's okay. (laughs) But there is a little bit of autumnal fun going on. Well, that's really what I want. In thinking about this story and what might be a good way to honor Rachel, I wanted to kind of recognize that she was living in New England at a time when ciders and hard ciders were very popular. But it's also, I wanted to do a little extra autumnal twist. So um, because she did die in October and because we're, we're at that time of year ourselves and because I always have autumn flavored things in my house year round anyway. Um, <laughs> so this is a cocktail called The Hanged Woman. And it is very simple and to my palate, dangerously delicious. <laughs> You're going to start with a champagne coupe or a flute, your preference. I prefer a coupe for this. Uh, a splash of pumpkin syrup. If you want to measure it, I would say about a half an ounce, but I just kind of pour in a splash. And then it is three ounces of hard cider, and then you top it with three ounces of champagne. And you want a sweeter champagne. You don't want a really dry one for this. This is so stinking delicious. I don't even know what to do with myself. And I want to guzzle it, and that is not good. Um, so just, it, to me, it would be like a perfect little celebration toast drink. Um, I love a champagne cocktail anyway, but this one is shockingly good. I am not a hard cider drinker by nature. Cider's just not my jam. Boy, I like it in this iteration, though. <laughs> the thing that's nice about this is that it's really easy to do a one-to-one alcohol-free version. So you just do a non-alcoholic cider and a bit of ginger ale. I would actually do like a sugar-free or a low-sugar ginger ale there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get too cloyingly sweet and keep the pumpkin syrup because that's that's easy. And then like sip away because it's real <laughs> delicious. I mean, the non-alcoholic version would be great for, like, a kid's party, even, if you wanted to, like, serve them something that felt fancy. You know, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I always did the, like, pretend cocktails. I think a lot of kids do. But, you know, ideally, you don't want to start your children drinking. So, um, (laughs) again, this is one that I'm going to make in large quantities for parties, but in both the mocktail version and the cocktail version, because, yum. I love the ones that you bring to the uh, the show that are clearly some of your favorites. 
you came on this morning and you were like, I love this drink. So like, I knew that it was going to be a good one. <laughs> I do. I love it. And it's, uh, we, we have gotten in the habit of talking about my husband's reactions to drinks. Since he is not a drinker, he's a good litmus test. Yes. And he quite liked this one. So that's a shocking and delightful endorsement. That is a good sign. Now, did he drink both both versions? No, he only, he only tried the cocktail version. Excellent. Um, so... I mean, I'm sure the mocktail version would be equally delicious for him uh, because it was equally delicious for me. Um, Yeah, like I said, I'm going to make a ton of these this fall because it's perfect. So hopefully you find a reason to celebrate and raise a a glass, whether it is champagne and hard cider based or otherwise. We hope that this autumn is treating you well. I want to thank everybody for once again spending time with us today. And we will meet you right back here with another pirate next week. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.